Welcome to the Proverbs 910 Ministries podcast, No Trash, Just Truth. We're your hosts and co-founders of Proverbs 910 Ministries, Chris Paxson and Rose Spiller. You know, Chris, Jesus has had some pretty shocking things so far in this sermon. And he's also said some things that were probably pretty hard to hear, like when he told his disciples the world would hate them. Now, Jesus is about to venture further into touchy ground with even harder words to swallow. Yeah, no kidding. Today, we're going to look at Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21, and we'll see that he's going to step on some toes and make this message cut to the very core, because this teaching has to do with the things that they and we hold most dear, idols in our lives. And these idols aren't wooden gold statues. They're anything that we're holding too tightly because they mean too much to us. We need to do whatever it takes to pry our fingers from them and hold them loosely. Definitely. And when it comes to our lives, we need to trust God to take care of us and be willing to give up even good things, even our lives for the sake of Christ. And we're to do all this without worry or anxiety, totally trusting our Heavenly Father. And Chris, Jesus teaches this because he wants our focus to be on his kingdom. He wants single-minded focus on the kingdom work he's called us to do, something we're going to expand on in the next episode. But anything we love too much is an idol that steals our focus, and anything we worry about too much is a distraction. We can't serve two masters. And in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to be aiming some darts right at the hearts of some of the crowd that's listening. Yeah, he is. So let's take a look at some of that crowd. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were rich. They believed that their riches were proof of their holiness, and this is what they taught other people. They probably got the idea from Deuteronomy 28, where God tells the Israelites they'll have blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience, or possibly from Proverbs 10:22, which says, the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. But there are a few problems that the Pharisees have. <laughs> Just a few. <laughs> Just a few. First, this is a misapplication of scripture. They were thinking that they were earning God's blessing by following the rules. But just like the Israelites or Adam and Eve, they were failing miserably. So that can't be the case. And they were either blind or they were liars. Hmm. Regardless, they missed Deuteronomy 30 verse 6, which says, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, and you will love him with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. That's something that's echoed in Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, and Ezekiel 36, verses 22 to 28. Right. And not only did the Pharisees totally misunderstand Scripture and think they were earning God's blessing by following the law, or what they thought they were following the law, the second problem they've got is that they're hypocrites. Like you said, they weren't following the law. They couldn't follow the law. Their riches were partially gotten by unjust means. And they missed the scriptural warnings about greed and neglecting the needs of others. The Jewish religious leaders have a hard issue and a big problem because of it. The question is, do we? Good question. That's the question we need to ask ourselves. So let's jump in. Well, Matthew 6, 19 to 21 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. 
And I'm very glad to hear there's no vermin in heaven. <laughs> yes, exactly. Me too. But something to notice about this passage is that Jesus gives us two options for where to lay up our treasure, in earth or in heaven. He does. In one place, our treasure will become worthless and will be our downfall. Like it says in James 5, 3, your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and consume your flesh like fire. But in the other place, it will have lasting value and will never diminish. 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19 says to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so that we may take hold of that which is truly life. There is no cut and dry standard here for storing up treasure. The real issue Jesus is describing isn't how much treasure we have. Jesus told the rich young ruler to sell all that he had, but he's the only one that we know of who got told to do that. The story of the rich young ruler is about how we are saved, not about money or how much we have. The rich young ruler wanted to know how he could earn eternal life. And the only way that can happen is by being perfectly holy, something we could never do. So Jesus went straight to his heart issue to prove to him that he didn't measure up. Yeah, he's a great example of this text that we're talking about right now because he said he wanted God, but he proved he wanted his money even more, proving he wasn't totally holy. Right. God isn't against being rich. Abraham was rich. Job was extremely rich. He was an extremely rich man who lost everything in a test for God to show Satan Job's love for him was not because he'd blessed him mightily. And after proving that he loves God despite his losses, God blessed him even more, you know, with more than he had before. In Luke 8, verses 1 to 3, we're told Jesus and the 12 apostles were supported by some rich women. And there are lots of other examples we could go to. So having money isn't evil. Loving money is the root of evil, according to 1 Timothy 6.10. Yep. Where would our churches be without generous benefactors? Yep. So treasure isn't just money. In that day, clothing was a huge commodity. Clothes were expensive and the rich had many garments, some of which they wore in layers. The rich would be noticeably different on the street from the poorer classes of people back then, unlike today. Yeah, today it's hard to tell from a distance and for the most part up close too. Although I'll qualify that by saying that if you're really wrapped up in stuff like that and in name brands and stuff like that, you probably can spot a knockoff even from a distance. And you might have a problem like the Pharisees had. Maybe. In that day, grain was another big commodity. This is probably why the destroyers of treasure Jesus uses as an illustration are moth and rust which can also be translated as worms. Or vermin. Or vermin, which, like I said, glad they're not in heaven. Me too. But the truth is, treasure is an all-inclusive word for anything that we get our main or even sometimes our total satisfaction from in this life. Treasure is the things we desire most, the things we love the most, the things that we think we couldn't possibly live without. We all have them. Therefore, rich and poor alike need to heed Jesus' warning. In the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones, we all have treasures in some shape or form. It may not be money. It may be husband, wife, or children. It may be some gift we have, which in actual worth and monetary value is very small. To some people, their treasure is their house. Any of these things can be taken from us at any time. They can be stolen by another person, taken by bankruptcy, or lost to us by death, kidnapping, separation, 
And you might be asking yourself, how could Jesus possibly consider people we love as treasure? The answer is because they can take the place of God in our hearts. And that's a tough thing to hear. It is. We can want to follow Jesus, but find ourselves still putting other people before him. Luke 9 verses 57 to 62 talks about the cost of following Jesus. It says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, meaning Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. God desires and deserves first place. Amen to that. We could even say that treasures could include our social status. According to Isaiah 2.11, it says, The haughty looks of man shall be bought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. It can be our love of the praise from men like the Pharisees who loved the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by others, according to Matthew 23, 1-7. It can be that pet project at church that's reaching so many people with the gospel message. It can be how you look. It could be your dog. It could be. Anything we love more than God is an earthly treasure, and it's an idol. God doesn't expect us or tell us to live like the Essenes who we talked about in episode one, they were living monastically without things that would bring earthly pleasure. We don't have to be like them, never ever moisturizing our skin even, you know. (laughs) What God says is to not be proud and arrogant about these things in front of others and not to trust in our wealth or anything but Him. 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. There's one more point to ponder about laying up treasure. Moths, rust, worms, or vermin usually only destroy what is extra, what's stored away and not being used. In other words, stockpiled things. That's a good point. The things we have need to be held with an open hand, ready to use for God's glory, or ready for Him to do with as He pleases. They're really His, and we're just stewarding them for a time anyway. This doesn't mean that we don't plan at all for the future, that we don't have retirement accounts, and that we don't have savings. We need to have resources to care for ourselves and our families and in case of emergencies. Proverbs 6, 6-9, God rebukes the sluggard, saying, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? Jesus isn't saying don't prepare, but we need to do everything we can to pry our fingers loose from the things we think we can't live without. Right. 
You know, the first time I ever heard that word picture for things that we're holding on to as idols, the prying your fingers loose thing, was when someone was talking about our children. And it's hard, like we said, when it's people we love that are our idols, but we still have to hold loosely. We have to love God the most. Chris, the one thing that helped me with this with my kids was that I would picture myself physically handing each of my kids over to Jesus. Now, I admit I took them back a few times, <laughs> but then I would I would do it again. But but having that physical picture in my head of handing my kids to Jesus did help me with this. I have heard somebody say that before, that it helped them. Yeah, that's a good idea. And sometimes it helps to remember that we're sojourners here. Our stay is only temporary. We're not home yet. Our reward is in heaven. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But first, Chris, why don't we talk about how a believer lays their treasures up? Okay. Well, the first thing that comes to mind is spread the gospel. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 8 says, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Also, helping the poor and needy, like we're told in Luke 12, verse 33, which says, Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide yourself with purses that will not wear out, an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. And then 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19, which we already read, but just to reiterate some of that. As for the rich in this present age, they're to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of which is truly life. Or Luke 14, 12 to 14, where Jesus tells the Pharisee who had invited him to his home, when you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Let's talk about some things in these verses. We don't merit heaven by doing these things. The rich young ruler wouldn't have merited heaven even if he'd sold all his wealth and given it to the poor. Exactly. We don't merit heaven by letting go of earthly goods in order to help others. And there's nothing wrong with being rich. In fact, the term rich is subjective. What some people would consider being rich, others would consider being poor. The point is, What are you willing to do with your wealth? Is it all for your own pleasure? And how would you feel if it all went away? Jesus doesn't want us so enamored with temporary earthly things, even people, so much that we aren't willing to give them up. And in addition, we can't put our trust and our hope in wealth or anything on earth. I like how one commentator put it. Wealth takes to itself wings. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) You know, that's so often true in this life. But when Jesus says in Matthew 6, 20, where neither moth nor rust nor vermin destroys, he makes it clear that in heaven, all of our sanctified desires will be fulfilled. Actually, they're going to be inexhaustibly fulfilled. Amen to that. You know, heavenly reward is mentioned in these verses a lot and other places in scripture. It is. And unlike earth, Some of those truths about heavenly reward are we'll receive wages according to our labor, we'll have purses that will not wear out, and we already mentioned an inexhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. The Bible doesn't spell out heavenly rewards clearly in regard to what it is, but regardless of the details, we know there is future glory in heaven, according to Psalm 84, 11 and Isaiah 28, 5. There is an inheritance in heaven. 1 Peter 1 verse 4 says that. 
there is a place for us, as we're told in John 14, verses 2 and 3, and Luke 16, 19. We are going to have rest. Yay. Revelation <laughs> 14, verse 3 says that. And God will be with us, according to Revelation 21, verse 3. Chris, there's a lot to look forward to. Let's go back to the text from the Sermon on the Mount that we're talking about today, and I'll read it again. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. We often look at these passages and see the truths we just talked about regarding wealth. But Jesus is giving listeners truth about much more than money. He is, and we've talked about some of that, but let's think a minute about the different groups of people who would have been listening and the teachings Jesus is refuting here. The Essenes lived communally. They gave up ownership of their worldly goods and shared communally with their group. But Josephus, the ancient Jewish historian, says their communal stock was astonishing. Hmm. So they certainly were stockpiling on earth, it sounds like. Yeah, it does. And then you have the Pharisees who were rich and who thought their wealth showed that they were blessed by God and thus closer to him and that he was pleased with them more. Jesus definitely rebukes them in this passage. Then you have the Sadducees who did not believe in the resurrection. And Jesus is definitely talking about an afterlife in these verses. Exactly. So let's move on to the last line we read where it says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. How are our hearts and our treasures in the same place? Our heart is what prompts us to action. Exodus 25 verse 2 says, Speak to the people of Israel that they take from me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution from me. And Proverbs 27 19 says, As a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. Our heart is a reflection of who, and in this case, whose we really are. What we do outwardly shows who we are inwardly. It reveals our true affections and where they lie. It reveals what we're passionate about, what really matters to us. And that's where we really need to end this one today. And we hope you've enjoyed these lessons from the best sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount. If so, please consider posting a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And check out our website, Proverbs910Ministries.com. Have a blessed day. 